The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Today we are going to talk about the amazing, wonderful Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett extravaganza that is Good Omens. I am really, really excited about this episode. This is one of my favorite books of all time. And Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett are two of my top favorite authors. And I absolutely adore that they wrote this book together. I've read it for the first time many years ago and have read it and reread it many times since. And so I was absolutely ecstatic when I found out that this will be an Amazon miniseries and enjoyed it tremendously and watched it the first week that it came out. It was a fantastic ode to Terry Pratchett's memory and Neil Gaiman was all about that the whole time. Good Omens the novel was a collaboration between two friends. The screenplay, Terry's gone, Terry's passed away. It's now been handed to you to do. And I did it for him. My task was incredibly simple. Make a TV series adaptation of Good Omens that Terry Pratchett would have enjoyed. That's a different kind of thing in your head to make this thing that everybody will love or make this thing that will get ratings or... And some of that stuff may happen and it may not, and I don't care. Because my job was to make a version of Good Omens that Terry asked me to make before he died. And I made it. And I think Terry really would have liked it. I think Terry's legacy is the gentle, sensible, incredibly articulate voice. Just the idea that as a person, you were your best self in the voice of the books. And he was. And what I love about that is the inspiration he gives to other people to be their best self. So let's get started. We cannot have a discussion about good omens without examining the hazy lines that characters have between good, evil, and morality. This is a story of balance and opposite forces finding harmony within one another. There is so much gray in this series. What's the psychology of good versus evil, and is it healthier to have a little bit of both? I think that what we're learning from the series, which I think also parallels what we're learning in real life, is that we can't be ruled by absolutes. We're seeing in the series that both heaven and hell to a degree believe that they're right and as do the horsemen and what we're seeing is that sometimes the right thing might not be completely good or completely bad and sometimes just because something is supposed to happen a certain way doesn't make it right just because there's a rule or a law doesn't mean that that's what is supposed to happen where 
seeing it in the books, we're seeing it in the series, and we're certainly also seeing it going on in the world now. There are certain laws, for example, that just because there are laws doesn't make them right, and just because something might be against the law doesn't make it wrong. I can't see what's so bad about knowing the difference between good and evil anyway. Well, it must be bad. Cruel, cruel. Otherwise, you wouldn't have tempted them into it. You say, get out there and make some trouble. Well, obviously, you're a demon. It's what you do. Not very subtle of the Almighty, though. Fruit tree in the middle of a garden with a don't touch sign. Why not put it on the top of a high mountain? Or on the moon? Makes you wonder what God's really planning. It's best not to speculate. It's all part of the great plan. It's not for us to understand. It's ineffable. The great plan's ineffable. Exactly. It is beyond understanding and incapable of being put into words. Didn't you have a flaming sword? Uh... You did. It was flaming like anything. What happened to it? Uh... Lost it already, I mean. Gave it away. You what? I gave it away! There are vicious animals. It's going to be cold out there and she's expecting already. And I said, here you go, flaming sword, don't thank me. Don't let the sun go down on you here. I do hope I didn't do the wrong thing. Oh, you're an angel. I don't think you can do the wrong thing. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's been bothering me. And I've been worrying too. What if I did the right thing with the holy diapel bit? demon can get into a lot of trouble for doing the right thing. Funny if we both got it wrong, eh? If I did the good thing and you did the bad one. <laughs> no. Wouldn't be funny at all. So in the series, we're seeing the angel and the demon where we're seeing Crowley and Azuraphale who are bending their own laws by which they are bound by their respective groups to which they belong because of what they believe in. They have certain allegiances to earth and to each other, and they also see what heaven and hell doesn't. They're seeing that people of earth deserve a second chance. They're seeing that humans are not all good or all bad, but also deserve a chance to live and to explore things for themselves. And so I think what the series does really well is exploring the nature of free will. And we're seeing that even though someone like Adam, for example, who was destined to become this force of evil, actually made his own choices and made his own decisions despite his biology and his nature. <laughs> despite the fact that he is the Antichrist, <laughs> right? Absolutely. <laughs> and he's supposed to destroy the world. As you were mentioning, the story revolves around the relationship between an angel, who is Aziraphale, and a demon, Crowley. These two have lived on Earth since creation, and they genuinely care for each other. They're best friends, and they have this, like, love for each other. What can this say about developing friendships and being more open to differences? Many viewers have different interpretations of the relationship between Aziraphale and Crowley. And I think that's the beauty of the series is that it is open to interpretation. Some people have described their relationship as 
not only full of love, but maybe even more intimate than that. A lot of LGBT individuals reported a strong connection with these characters. Individual viewers who are, for example, trans or gender fluid reported a very strong connection to these characters. And I think that the power of this representation here really shows that you don't have to come from the same group that you would think these two characters, right? An angel and a demon, Curly and Aziraphale, who are supposed to hate each other. They come from these two organizations that are known to be at war with each other, but they're able to get past those differences and find love and connection. And that's humanity. That is the definition of humanity, seeing beyond our differences and finding that similarity. And that's where love begins. Whatever you describe as love, it doesn't have to be romantic. It could be a friendship kind of love. I think that it's a really powerful representation of how when we spend enough time getting to know one another and seeing the ways in which we're similar and fighting for a greater purpose with one another instead of against one another, then we're able to get past anything, including get through an apocalypse and stand up to the ultimate forces of evil, which in this case was this ultimate fight between heaven and hell. I just had such an interesting thought um, that this is kind of like a, a biblical or heavenly Romeo and Juliet story because <laughs> Aziraphale and Crowley really do have a love for each other. I love that moment when they're talking and Crowley says, we can just stay on earth. We can disappear. We can do things. We can go out in the universe and just avoid the whole apocalypse together. And Aziraphale says, you're moving too fast for me, Crowley. <laughs> it's so cute. They actually have a very cute little relationship underneath all this. They do. It's endearing. It's really endearing. And I think it really shows what can happen when we can really get to know somebody that we might really care for that person, whether it's, again, either romantically or just this true profound love that happens when people are really connected to one another. How long have we been friends? 6,000 years. It's a big universe. This all ends up in a puddle of burning goo. We can go off together. Go off together? Oh, that went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I said, well, that went down like a lead balloon. It'd be funny if we both got it wrong, eh? If I did the good thing and you did the bad one. <laughs> what are you doing here? Crowley. We already have the agreement, Crowley. Stay out of each other's way. Lend a hand when needed. Well, I suppose I should say thank you. Should I say thank you? Better not. That was very kind of you. Shut up. What? May you be forgiven. I won't be forgiven. Not ever. Part of a demon's job description. Unforgivable, that's what I am. You were an angel once? That was a long time ago. And what does your friend think? Oh, he's not my friend. We're not friends. We are an angel and a demon. We have nothing whatsoever in common. I don't even like you. You do. You were on opposite sides. We're on our side. There is no our side, Crowley. Not anymore. I see one for a while. heaven are you, you idiot? Not for you! Ah, for somebody's sake, where are you? 
Stuff happened. I lost my best friend. So sorry to hear it. Oh, you're an angel. I don't think you can do the wrong thing. Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, it's been bothering me. I've been worrying too. What if I did the right thing with the whole eat the apple business? A demon can get into a lot of trouble for doing the right thing. That was that. It was nice knowing you. We can't give up now. This is Satan himself. It isn't bad I'm again. This is personal. Come up with something! Or, or I'll never talk to you again. It burned down. Remember? We can't leave, Cronus. There isn't anywhere to go. It's a big universe. You can stay at my place. I don't, I don't think my side would like that. You don't have a side anymore. Neither of us do. We're on our own side. Let me tempt you to a spot of lunch? Temptation? A couple of I like to think none of this would have worked out if you weren't at heart just a little bit a good person. And if you weren't deep down just enough of a bastard to be worth knowing. Cheers. To the world. So speaking of differences, this series did receive some protests and misguided petitions from religious groups. The group actually targeted Netflix, though this is an Amazon Prime series. Which was hilarious, which by was, the way. I, I love Netflix's whole, you know, thing like, we will remove it. We removed it. Thank you. <laughs> even though they don't even own it or anything. But one of the biggest concerns was that God, who narrates the series, was voiced by a woman, Frances McDormand. Actually, I find this a wonderful delight. I mean, what gives here? What is the issue with having God as a woman? I don't have an issue with it. I thought that was a brilliant adaptation, actually. I thought that was a really great way of doing that. The thing is, is that we don't know the gender of God or what is out there. I think some of us might have certain beliefs. Some of us might have been raised a certain way. I loved the idea that God could be a woman and Good Omens is not unique in this perspective. And I think that unfortunately some not only religious groups but other individuals might sometimes feel threatened if a certain movie, TV show or book represents ideas that they hold very dear in a different way because somehow they might be afraid that it might pose a threat to their belief system. For some individuals, the possibility of their beliefs being wrong creates a kind of dissonance 
And this dissonance might feel so intimidating that it might seem unsafe. And therefore, they might become very angry, not because they're actually angry, but because they're afraid. This fear might sometimes become destructive. And I think that's what we're seeing here. I think with some individuals who were really loud and really insulting in their outcry and in their petitions against this fiction, this really entertaining piece of fiction, I think might somehow feel threatened by something that represents something that they might be very fragile about. For some individuals, their religious belief is kind of the only thing that keeps them going. And any potential, even if it's not real, threat to that belief is so intimidating that they might be terrified of their belief somehow being wrong and which I think is where a lot of the anger comes from. Current theories on the creation of the universe state that if it were created at all and didn't just start, as it were, unofficially, it came into being about 14 billion years ago. The Earth is generally supposed to be about four and a half billion years old. These dates are incorrect. Some medieval scholars put the date of the creation at 3760 BC. Others put creation as far back as 5508 BC. Also incorrect. Archbishop James Usher claimed that the heaven and the earth were created on Sunday the 21st of October 4004 BC at 9 a.m. This too was incorrect by almost a quarter of an hour. It was created at 9.13 in the morning, which was correct. The whole business with the fossilized dinosaur skeletons was a joke the paleontologists haven't seen yet. This proves two things. Firstly, that God does not play dice with the universe. I play an ineffable game of my own devising. For everyone else, it's like playing poker in a pitch dark room for infinite stakes with a dealer who won't tell you the rules and who smiles all the time. I mean, I just see our world and it's so beautiful and so many people have so many different views on creation and spirituality and religion that it's almost open to interpretation or personal reflection. It's interesting to me that someone would be affected so much by someone else's interpretation or religion or whatever. I mean, if you believe in what you believe in, you believe in what you believe in. And that's the thing is that I find that when faith is strong enough, whatever it is, whether it's faith in God or agnosticism or atheism or whatever it is, when faith is strong enough, it doesn't get riled by somebody else's differences, especially when it comes from entertainment, from a television show, from a book. But I think for individuals that are maybe grasping to something because they're otherwise drowning, when their suffering is so great that their particular belief system is the only thing keeping them going, they might be terrified of letting go of that last remaining life jacket. And I think that's where a lot of anger comes from. I think it's driven by a lot of suffering and a lot of fear. I wish there was a way that people could talk about their differences in a loving, caring way, in a similar way as Crowley and Aziraphale can. Yeah, that would be wonderful. So you were briefly mentioning Adam, and he is the Antichrist, and he's this young boy who doesn't really want to destroy the world, and he chooses to defy his destiny of bringing on the apocalypse. What does this say about willpower and the value of doing what's right? I'm really glad you asked this question. 
Willpower is really interesting. Willpower is one of these things that varies over time and it's almost like a muscle that needs to be trained. It's something that gets stronger when we really believe in something but can also get weaker when we're exhausted as we see in Adam over time he gets really fatigued. You would think that someone who is born the way that Adam was, who has the heritage that Adam has, would automatically follow his path. But his willpower, his belief in the world is stronger than his heritage. His love for his family, for his friends, for the world is overshadowing the darkness that he was born with. In learning about, let's say, the Atlantis or the horrors of the Spanish Inquisition and what was going on with the witch trials, he's learning to see what was good and what was actually really awful with the world, the way that people were caged and tortured. And it allows him to also grow a sense of compassion for human beings. His newfound power initially goes to his head and becomes really destructive. But when he sees his friends who are suffering, he realizes that he wants to be the kind of friend to them and the kind of friend to other people that brings peace to the earth rather than one that rips it apart. Well, he was also mixed up at birth and the father and the mother, they were actually kind of more of a loving environment. And then he had these friends. So then there is also this influence besides, you know, willpower and the value of doing something right. There's these little nuances of influence that he has from loving parents and friends. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. When we are in environments that allow for that kind of love and care, then we learn what that kind of love and care feels like and we're more likely to generate it in our lives. For a lot of individuals out there who are born or raised in abusive families or maybe didn't have a family of their own, who don't have supportive friends, a lot of times there isn't an opportunity for that. And I think this is where the books and television shows are extremely powerful because we can have almost a surrogate kind of friendship or family through fiction. And for a lot of individuals who've read Good Omens, for example, these characters might have become their friends. They might report being friends with Adam or being friends with Crowley or Xerophel in you know, at times when they might not otherwise feel connected to other individuals. And these kind of surrogate relationships can actually override our certain schemas that we might have been taught. For example, some individuals who are born in abusive environments might have been taught that people are evil or that people are always going to hurt them. And then if they're able to receive these messages of love and empathy and support from fiction or from even nonfiction from books, then they might be able to learn these fundamental lessons of love and empathy that can reshape those initial scripts that they might have developed. So this book and the series focus on the very accurate prophecies of a witch. In fact, the title of the book is Good Omens, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, Witch. She's a very accurate prophet, and she knows what's going to happen in the future down to like 
tiny little things like buying into an apple that you cannot bite and things like that so that her family becomes rich off of Macintosh and Apple. Which, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but I believe that's a new fact in the series. I don't think that was in the original book. I never got a chance to read the book, but (laughs) ultimately I thought that was very interesting because she's the opposite of someone like Professor Trelawney, who is a very unreliable psychic and prophet. From Um, the Harry Potter series. From the Harry Potter series, yes. What does it say to have someone whose prophecies are this spot on and how can it affect the trajectory of actions and destiny? Well, it's interesting because Agnes's predictions are spot on but they're also really vague her descendants have to essentially figure out what she means they have to follow a certain code to try to understand what's going to happen what we are also learning is that in a way having these prophecies set out for you can create an almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where because the prophecy is there it's expected to happen and it unfortunately limits some of the character choices. Later, we see Anathema being almost paralyzed when she loses Agnes's book because she's so used to following all of these flashcards and what the book suggests in order to make every decision that later, at the end of the book, after the apocalypse is over, we see her learning to let go and the struggle to make her own decisions. I think that for a lot of individuals in real life, when we have our life shaped and planned out, whether it's by our parents or some kind of other presumed destiny, such as a football scholarship or something like that, we might enjoy that comfort, but in some ways we might also feel trapped by this path. And sometimes having more choices and A less defined path might be scary, sure, but might also allow us more possibilities for the way that we make out the rest of our lives. Right. You're not handcuffed to one trajectory in life. You actually are open to multiple possibilities. Absolutely. So this show was amazing. I enjoyed it so much. It's only about six episodes and... They did a wonderful job, in my opinion. And like I said, I didn't read the book, but from what I heard from people who have, that it was spot on and it really was amazing. It was. It was absolutely amazing. It was very accurate. (laughs) No pun intended there. (laughs) It was really therapeutic, too, I think, in a way that it represented love and friendship and care and standing up to the forces of evil, I think, never had this book since its release been more prevalent and more relevant than it is today, showing us that even when apocalypse is seemingly going to happen, that there's still something that we can do to prevent it, that perhaps love is stronger than heaven and hell, and that if we band together, perhaps we can do the impossible. Set our differences aside and unite. Put the unity back in community. Absolutely. I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to end this episode of Superhero Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or on Instagram, Dr. Janina Scarlett Official. 
If you like what you hear on Superhero Therapy, please like, rate, subscribe, share, or whatever on social media. We would really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful day.